Welcome to The Rock Church and World Outreach Center. We pray that this message will strengthen and encourage you. Now, here's a message from Pastor Dan Roth. Amen, amen. Say amen online. You can type it in the comments section. We'd love to hear from you. And so as we say something in the sanctuary online, I would love for you to type it in the comments and uh, just go ahead and preach with me online as well. Praise God. This is the story of us. Turn in your Bibles with me to Acts chapter number 9. Remember, this is not just a history lesson. This is the story of what's going on in our lives here and now. And this today is a now word. It is a word for you and a word for me. God had us in these scriptures at this time for this season for a purpose. And the title of this specific message today is simply this, that church is essential. Acts chapter number 9, you find the Apostle Paul on the road to Damascus. He has an encounter with Jesus. Jesus says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? If you come against the church of Almighty God, you have come against Jesus Christ himself. Saul, in response, asked the two most important questions he could ever ask, and in fact, any of us could ever ask in our lives. Number one is, who are you, Lord? We have to settle the issue of who Jesus is in our lives. Is he Lord, is he a liar, or is he a lunatic? If he is Lord, then we need to submit all of our hearts and all of our lives to him. And the second question comes right on the heels of that first question, what do you want me to do? Jesus gave him instructions, he gave him the next step, and he told him to go into the city. He was led by the hand because he was blinded by the light. There he sat and ate no food, drank no water for three days. And now here we pick up the story in Acts chapter number 9. I'm going to start in verse number 10 and read down through verse number 12. It says, now there was a certain disciple. Everybody say a certain disciple. Come on, type it in the comment section. A certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias. And he said, here I am, Lord. Now Ananias had that same humble spirit that said, God, I'm ready to do what you want me to do right? The other time you hear, here I am, Lord, it's followed by a send me when you read that in the book of Isaiah. And so we see that same humble spirit that says, here I am, Lord, God, I'm ready. What do you want me to do? Here I am, Lord. Verse 11, so the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. Verse 12, and in a vision he's seen a man named Ananias coming and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Now I would imagine Ananias probably while he was listening to the Lord kind of made this face, right? He's praying and he, he sees the Lord in a vision. Lord, here I am, right? And God starts speaking to me. He says, Saul of Tarsus, I would imagine this happened. Yeah, well, Jesus, can we just hold, time out for a second? Wait, 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 hold on, hold on. Saul of Tarsus, like the Saul of Tarsus, you know, that guy that was beating up women and dragging them out of their houses, and he got letters, and he came here. If you read on, he's, he reminds the Lord of why Saul is in Damascus. He's here to persecute the church, and he says, and by the way, Lord, he's seen a man named Ananias, and, 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 and my name just happens to be Ananias. Lord, you want me to go and pray for this terrorist, this persecutor of the church? And Jesus' response is, I'll show him how many things he must suffer for my name. In other words, I'm in charge here. I'm the one calling the shots. Ananias, you just follow me in obedience. So Ananias, verse number 17, Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying hands on him, entered and said, Brother Saul. Notice that he calls him brother. See, I believe that Saul on the road had a conversion experience. I believe that he surrendered his heart and his life to the Lord once he realized who Jesus is. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. What do you want me to do? See, he was laying down his life. If you're true, if you who are you say you are, then I am submitted to your lordship. If you are the ancient of days, if you are the God of Israel, 
if you are really truly the son of God, because the son of God means that he is God in the flesh. And if that's who you are, Jesus, then what do you want me to do? I'm laying down my life for you. See, Saul gave 100% in everything he did. In persecuting the church, he was zealous. But also, once he started to serve the Lord, he served wholehearted. And so he is now a brother. He's not somebody who's outside. No, he's inside the family of God. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Verse number 18, immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales. And he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. I want you to notice that he laid hands on him while he was speaking to him. He touched him, reached out and touched somebody like the old AT&T commercial says. The boomers and the Gen Xers know what I'm talking about. Sorry, Gen Z and the younger generation. Y'all don't know nothing about no AT&T commercials. Story goes on and continues that Saul began to preach Jesus as the Son of God in the synagogues. To everyone's amazement, the Jews were just amazed. Wait a second. Didn't he come here to stop the way and now he's preaching the way? Wasn't he coming against Jesus and now he's preaching Jesus? And they get so angry that they plot to kill him. And it gets so bad that they're waiting by night by the gate so that if he tried to sneak out, they could grab him and murder him. And so the disciples catch wind of it, and they say, Saul, Saul, come on, come on over here to the house. Saul, what you get in this basket? What? I'm not getting in no basket. No, Saul, in the basket. We've got to get you out of here, and so we've got to lower you down out of the window. Get in the basket. I don't want to get in the basket. Saul, just get in the basket. So Saul climbs in the basket, and they say, all right, we're going to put the lid on. Don't put the lid on. What are you doing? I can't breathe in here. No, Saul. And they push him down, and they get him, and they lower him out of the window by night so that no one would see him and so that he could escape the plot of the Jews that wanted to kill him. Runs out into the Arabian desert and there he talks about this later on in the book of Galatians, how he got caught up in the revelations with the Lord and he heard from the Lord. He came back. The Bible says that he came back to Damascus for a period of time and then eventually he went down to Jerusalem. As he tried to enter Jerusalem, he tried to get together with the church, the body of believers that were there. And they were afraid of him, rightfully so, because the last time they saw him, he was dragging people out of their houses. He was putting them in jail. He was approving of their deaths. And so they didn't want anything to do with him. You've got to be trying to trick us. You've got to be trying to mess with us. But look what happens in verse number 27. But Barnabas, oh, hey, Barney, you guys remember this guy, right? This guy is the son of encouragement. This guy is the one that everyone wanted to be around. This was the guy that just loved people and encouraged people and built people. But Barnabas took him, took Saul, and brought him to the apostles. He says, hey, come on, Saul. Come on, I got you, bro. Let's go takes into Peter, James, John, Thomas, right, all of the apostles that are there, and he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road, that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. He vouches for Paul. He says, this guy's really a believer. This is what happened. He was converted. He's a new man. Verse 28, so he's with them, with who? With the apostles at Jerusalem, coming in and going out. Verse 29, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus, and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. This guy had a ministry of making people mad. In fact, everywhere Paul goes, it stirs up protests and riots and persecution. See, what he had sown, he is actually reaping. But he was 100% persecuting the church, but now he's 100% building the church and contending for the faith. And so it makes these guys so mad, they try to kill him. Verse 30, when the brethren found out, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him out to Tarsus. No longer in a basket, but probably in a boat. He sails for his hometown. 
They say, just kind of lay low for a while, man. Just go, go home, hang out with your mama, you know, just go talk to your dad. It's cool. And just settle down for a little while. And for about 10 years, we don't see Saul again. The Bible says that the churches had peace and grew and multiplied during that time. I can see from these scriptures that Saul had experiences early on in his faith. Things that show me that church is essential. See, he needed the community around him. He needed these people. He needed these brethren. He needed Ananias. He needed the disciples of Damascus. He needed a Barnabas. He needed the apostles. He needed the community of believers that sent him out and that protected him. Church is essential, and it is no less essential today. It is vitally important to all of us in the life of every believer. I need it. You need it. We all need it. Church is essential. And today I want to talk to you about just three things that church is essential for in our lives. Now, could there be more? Absolutely. There are plenty more. We could actually spend like a 10-part series on why church. You know what I mean? We could expound on this. We could talk about all the different aspects of it. But today, for what the Lord has brought us to and where God is leading us in his scriptures, we're just going to spend this time today on it. And I'm going to give you a broad overview about church and included in these things that I'm going to give you are other things that you're going to see as we go through so you can just write these things down and take note of them as they go. Church is a simple, essential, number one, for discipleship. Church is essential for discipleship. See, it took a believer and a brother to minister to Saul. Without an Ananias and other disciples who showed Saul the way, how would he get going in the right direction? See, Jesus showed up and ministered to Saul on the road. But Jesus chose to, in the next steps, place him in the context of relationship in the church. It was a brother who came to him. It was a disciple, not a pastor, not any special person that had to do this. You know, discipleship is not for just the elite and the few. No, discipleship is for everybody. And discipleship never ends. It's something that we continue on into throughout our Christian walk because being a disciple means being a disciplined follower of Jesus Christ. And we do that in the context of the church. We learn about that by watching other believers who are going on ahead of us. Guys, I never grew in my faith. When I gave my heart to the Lord as a teenager, I had other leaders that surrounded me. They taught me how to pray. They taught me how to read the word, how to study the scriptures. They taught me how to love. They taught me how to act in church. They taught me how to clean up my act and stay away from sin. See, we all need the church to help us in our walk with God. And if you're struggling in an area, guess what? you got a body of believers who loves you, and probably someone has dealt with that in the room, and they could be there to say, hey, if God could do it in me, he could do it in you. Let me show you from the scriptures. Let me pray with you. Let me believe with you. Let me hold you accountable. See, we need people of God around us. Well, I've got God directly. Absolutely, every believer does. You have the scriptures. You have the word of God. But Jesus himself is the one who instituted the church. Notice what it says in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18. This is our church, the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. This is our foundational scripture. This is why we are called the Rock. Jesus is talking to the disciples in Matthew chapter 16. He says, hey, who do the people say that I am? And they respond, some say the prophet, some say Elijah, some say you're John the Baptist, resurrected. And he turns the question on them. He says, but who do you say that I am? Remember, once again, who are you, Lord? Most important question we could ever answer in our life. Peter steps up to the plate. The big mouth Peter. Aren't you glad Peter's a big mouth? Even though he shoved his foot in his mouth oftentimes, oftentimes Peter stepped up. He was the one that preached the first message on the day of Pentecost. 
He was a big mouth for Jesus, and I'm glad he was, even though he made some mistakes. At least he went down trying. You know what I'm saying? He went down swinging. And so here's Peter, and he steps up, and he says the right thing. He says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responds and says, hey, Peter, Peter, yo, yo, Peter, guess what? Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but it was my Father who is in heaven who's revealed this to you. And then in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18, remember I said this is the foundational scripture. And I also say to you that you are Peter, the rock, right? And on this rock, on Peter? No, 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 not on Peter himself, but on what the Father revealed to Peter. That the confession of who Jesus is as Lord, as the Messiah, as the chosen one who is to come, God in the flesh, on this rock, I will build my what? Oh, come on, shout it at me today. Oh, maybe, maybe online you can shout a little louder at me today. I will build my what? Church. I will build my church and the gates of Hades or hell will not prevail against it. Jesus is not building Christian education even though that's good. He's not building Christian mission societies even though those are necessary and needed. He's not building evangelistic crusades even though those are wonderful. Jesus is not building a television evangelism ministry even though those are cool. Guess what Jesus is building? He's building his church. All of those other things are extensions of the church, ministries in the church, but Jesus is building the church, and I want to be a part of what Jesus is building, and I know that you do too. See, people get the wrong idea about church. They think church is the building. They think church is the institution, the organization. Some people rightfully say, well, church is the people, right? Of course it is, because the word church here in the Greek is the ecclesia. It is the called out people. That's really what it's talking about in the Greek, that there is a people called out to gather together. It is an assembly. It is a congregation. It is a people of the same citizenry or citizenship, if you will. And overwhelmingly in the New Testament, it is spoken of as the believers in Jesus Christ. See, we are not citizens of this world any longer. No, now we have citizenship in heaven. And when we gather together as the citizens of heaven, the idea of the ecclesia is that as we gather, that we learn the word of God, we get in unity, we get in harmony, we come together. We may divide on politics or race or culture, education, on finances and economy, but when we come together... No matter what divides us in the natural, by the Spirit of God, we come together with the Word of God, and now we are united, we are one, and when we pray, there is power, and we are the ruling, governing authority on the planet. That means if there's a problem on the earth, it's our problem. If there's something going on that shouldn't be going on, we have the power to change it. We have the answer in Jesus Christ and in the Word of God. People have belittled the church. People have said the church shouldn't get political. I don't think we should get political, but I do think that we should rule and reign on the earth with Jesus Christ. That's what your Bible says. We are the church, and we're not going to let the devil slap us around and go out there and steal, kill, and destroy, taking people out. No, we are on a mission, and we do not allow those things to go on. We pray for those things. We believe God. We press in. We do the good works that God has called us to do. We are the church. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse number 15 in the New King James Version. But if I'm delayed, I write to you so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of truth. See, out there in the world, you will find what they say is truth. 
They say, well, you've got your truth, but I've got my truth. Their truth is conditional. Their truth is experiential. Their truth is factual. But it's not based on what we base our truth on. See, they'll say that's your truth, but that's not my truth. But see, truth has to be truth no matter what you think, no matter what they say, no matter what someone experiences or even the facts are. Truth is truth regardless of any of those things. That's where Jesus said, your word is truth. Did you know that the word of God supersedes even the facts on this earth? See, the facts may be that you're feeling sick in your body, but the truth of God is that you're healed. But wait a second, I don't see that in my experience. I don't feel that in my feelings. I don't feel that in my body. No, you don't. But if you continue to believe the truth and declare the truth and pray the truth and hold on to the truth, eventually your facts will line up with the truth. See, we don't understand these things. And yet the church, we are the called ones. We are the chosen ones. See, if God is doing something today on the earth, he's doing it in the church Ephesians chapter 1 in the message paraphrase, Eugene Peterson beautifully illustrates it, that the church is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. The church is God's body in which he lives and moves and breathes. At the center of all this, Christ rules the church. If God's doing something on the earth today, he's doing it in his church. And we can only view life on the foundation of the truth of Jesus Christ Paul states here in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 15, that it's the church. It is the foundation, the pillar, and the ground. It holds up our lives, but it also grounds us in the foundation of the rock of Jesus Christ. See, it was in church that I learned more clearly the life of a believer. It's in church I learned prayer. It's in church I learned studying the word. It's in church that I learned purity. It was in church that I learned how to have a great marriage. It was in church that I learned how to do family. It was in church that I learned financial stewardship. It was in church that I learned mercy and love. See, out there in the world, they can have philanthropy. They can have good works. They can do all those things. But when you have the heart of God, when you have been discipled as a believer to follow Jesus, and you start to see as God sees, and the mercy and compassion of God comes on your life, now all of a sudden you can go and do the works that Jesus did. You won't get that in a self-help book. You won't get that in a podcast. You get that in the church as you are discipled in the midst of believers and the body of Christ. Second thing that you get in the church, and I like this one, is encouragement. Church is essential for encouragement. Have you ever had one of those days that you woke up in the morning, didn't want to get out of bed, you're just discouraged, you're just depressed, you got the weight of the world on your shoulder, you don't know what's going to happen in November with the elections, you don't know what's going to happen next week when the bills hit on the first, you don't know how you're going to make it, you're mad at your spouse, right? They said something to you, they just rang in you and you had a terrible night's sleep, you woke up and you didn't even want to get dressed and get out, threw some food down, but you ate the wrong food, right? You should have ate better, but you you decided to get that bowl of Captain Crunch instead of the eggs and bacon, right? You just, you, you don't want no spinach right now, right? It's the morning. What do I have to do with spinach in the morning? And so you went out there and you just had a tall Starbucks, you know, one of the big ones with extra sugar and extra syrup, and you just hate yourself. And then you come into church and you're fighting with your spouse. You, you ended up doing that thing that your dad used to do that you said that you would never do, where the kids just started flying off and your hand just immediately went like this. Just hoping that you slap something, right? You know, could you, could you just stop it. Just stop it back there. Would you just knock it off? Then you felt, oh, man, I feel so bad. I said I'd never do that. But you did it. And that was all before church this morning. <laughs> but then you got into the house of God. Crossed the threshold and the peace of God just hit you. Oh, my goodness. Like you fell into a big old pillow. 
Wow. As you crossed in, you saw somebody, one of our greeters with their mask on, right? Socially distancing, waving at you with a little sign that said, we're so glad you're here. And oh my goodness, you just felt like, man, I'm glad I'm here too. As you got into the sanctuary and they said, is anybody ready to worship the Lord? Before they ever strummed a guitar, hit a drum, sang a note, the tears started to well up in your eyes and you felt and sensed the presence of God because you were gathered in the house of God and your spirits started to lift. You leaned over and you grabbed grabbed your spouse's hand and said, I'm so sorry for how I acted on the way here. On the way home, you told the kids, I apologize. I was wrong. Please forgive me. You know, we're going to do better. The weight of the world, as you sang and as you worshiped, the cares of this world rolled off your back and they rolled onto God's strong shoulder and he told you, everything's going to be all right. I got you. See, you'll get encouraged in church. And even more so intentionally, look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 23 through verse number 25 in the New King James Version. It says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Hold on to your hope, church. Hold on to the things that you're believing God for, things that you have declared, the things that you've confessed. If you haven't seen it yet, it's coming. Be encouraged. Look at the next verse, verse 24. And let us, everybody say, let us. Let us. Come on online, type it in, let us, that's you and that's me. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. You know that word stir up literally means to poke at, to, to prod, to push, to kick, to provoke, one translation says. You know, we get provoked by a lot of things out there in the world. One news headline, one stupid person on the freeway. Come on, somebody, you know what I'm talking about. One comment, one snappy thing that's said, one problem on the job, and all of a sudden we're provoked, right? And we just manifest the wrong way in the flesh. But the Bible says that when we get into church, that we should be poking. We should be provoking. We should be pushing towards what? Towards love and good deeds. Hey, you need to love your wife. Hey, you need to love your children. Hey, you don't need to be down. You need to be up. Come on, let me lift you up. Let me help you. Come on, I got you. I'm going to provoke you. I'm going to prod you. I'm going to push you. I'm going to make sure that you walk out of this place with a smile on your face. Why? Because God is good. Jesus is alive. You're going to make it. He's the healer. He's the provider. He's the protector. He's got your back. He's your front and your rear guard. He's above you and beneath you. He's to the right and he's to the left. You will hear his voice and he will guide you in the way to walk in it. You can do this. We've got you. Be encouraged. Let me stir you up today. Look at what it says in verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. Let me read that again. Not forsaking the assembling, the in-person gatherings of ourselves Together, I love you online, but can I provoke you? Can I push you? Can I prod you a little bit? If you don't have underlying health conditions, if you're in the area, if you've just gotten lazy, takes 30 days to create a habit, right? We were out of church for three months. Some of you guys created an unhealthy habit of getting out of church, and you don't have underlying health conditions. You've been at the store. Should I provoke a little bit more? The in-person gathering is getting on you right now. They want to push you too. They want to prod you. We want to see you in church. Time to come back to church. 
Time to get in-person gatherings. And if you're afraid of coming in a building, we'll be outside tonight. Come tonight. I want to see you. I'm, I'm poking. I'm provoking. I'm pushing. Why? Because I love you. And it's a good thing to be in the house of God. I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. We are the church. We're a part of one another, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together, as is the habit of some or the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much more. Listen, I'm not going to get off your back. I'm going to keep riding you more and more. Why? As you see the day approaching, Jesus is coming back for his church, and I want you to be a part of that. See, in isolation, people are more likely to make bad decisions, be depressed, lose hope, and even more likely to commit suicide. According to Reliance Academy, who provides suicide resources for America's healthcare professional, depression is the most common condition associated with suicide. Depression leaves individuals with feelings of isolation, helplessness, and hopelessness, disinterest in daily activities, anger, and or irritability. And while depression and other mood disorders are major contributing factors, 54% of people who took their lives didn't have a previously known mental health disorder, according to the CDC study. However, being focused merely on mental health would not give a full picture of risk factors. The CDC study also revealed other contributing situational factors, including relationship problems, substance use disorders. Do you hear that? Relationship problems, divorce is on the rise right now. Substance use disorders, you know, alcohol sales are through the roof. Substance abuse, people are abusing prescription medications, numbing their pain. They're going after illegal drugs. Recent or impending crisis, hmm, I wonder what that is. Anybody can imagine what recent or impending crisis is going on in our land right now? Physical health issues. People are worried about their health right now. And financial issues. Anybody lost a job? Anybody lost income? Anybody concerned about your future, about your 401k, about the stock market, about your investments, about the real estate, right? All of these things that contributed to a majority of the suicides. An article entitled, Are We Facing a Post-COVID-19 Suicide Epidemic? From Psychology Today, Dr. Romeo Vitelli states that for Americans who are part of religious, ethnic, or social community, being able to attend regular events, including religious services, can be essential in feeling connected with others. While some religious congregations have opposed social distancing rules, the closing of most religious and community centers has increased social isolation for many Americans. Given that weekly attendance at religious services has long been shown to reduce suicide risk compared to non-attenders, losing the support may make social isolation hard to bear. Guys, I did not ask them to write these things. I did not ask them to post their findings online. I did not ask them to make these statements. These are not people from church. These are not people that I know. These are doctors and healthcare professionals that are sharing these things with us. But why do we believe the healthcare community more than what we believe that God has already spoken to us, that church is essential? If you want to be encouraged, if you want to be lifted up, if you want to be poked and provoked and prodded towards love and good deeds, you're going to find that in church. See, this shows me without a doubt that church with in-person gatherings, we are more likely to be encouraged, more likely to make the right decisions, more likely to stay out of sin, and more likely to be happy and encouraged in life. You need the church to encourage you.
Put a smile on your face as we say this last thing. Come on online, I can't see you, but I know you need a smile right now. Be encouraged. Last thing for us today is this. Somebody's saying, oh, thank God he's almost done. Praise the Lord. So for the next three hours, we're going to talk about this last one. Last one is this. Last one is this. Your destiny. Church is essential for your destiny. See, it was in connection with the apostles and the disciples. Saul went on his way to Tarsus, and eventually Barnabas went and got him again. The Bible says that he brought him down to Antioch. Antioch was the first place that they were called Christians. He brought him into this church at Antioch, and there they were fasting. There they were praying. And it was in that church, in that context, that Paul's destiny was opened up and unlocked. See, he had had a vision. He knew that he was going to go before kings and Jews and Gentiles, and that he was going to suffer persecution. Jesus had revealed that to him already. But he didn't know how that was going to play out, how that was going to look. But there was a day and there was a destiny for Saul, that Saul would become Paul the apostle, the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. The great apostle would go out and plant churches. One of the men who they said had come and turned the world upside down. And it was in church that they were praying and fasting and that the Holy Spirit said, separate unto me Saul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them to. See, your destiny is linked up with the church, the house of God, the pillar and the ground of truth. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 11 through 16 in the New Living Translation, I'll read it to you. It says, now these are the gifts. Everybody say gifts. Type it in online. Come on, the gifts or give me a gift emoji on there. The gifts that Christ gave to the church. Here's the gifts, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Did you know that we are gifts to you? That God loved you and he gave you a gift of a pastor or a prophet or of an apostle or of a teacher. God gave you gifts. Why would God give you these gifts and not make you one of these gifts? Because, you know, sometimes we elevate the gift. And we say, oh, well, you know, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a prophet. I, I must be no good. They get to do the work. They get to build the ministry. They get to be on the pulpit. They get to have the microphone. They get to say the cool, funny stuff. I'd love to do that. But listen, I'm not anything other than a gift. God gave you a gift because he loves you and he wants the best for your life. He wants you to be blessed. Verse 12, their responsibility. Whose responsibility? The gifts. These fivefold ministers, their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Guys, it's not my responsibility alone to build the church. It's my responsibility to equip the church so that you guys can go and build the church. Maybe you didn't realize it. But you are the full-time minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. You are the ones that are God's mouthpiece. You are his hands. You are his feet. God has a portion for you to take up of this ministry and of this work. You are elbow deep in the work of God next to Jesus as he builds his church. You are the workers that are working with him. You have a part to play in this. Look at it. Their responsibility is to equip the God's people to do his work and build up the church, the body of Christ. Verse 13, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's son that we will be mature in the Lord. Everybody say mature. Measuring up to the complete and full standard of Christ. We don't like standards, do we? I don't want your standards. I don't want you to judge me. Don't tell me how I live my life. Don't preach at me. What did Jesus do? He showed us how to live life. He gave us a pattern. He lived amongst us, and he showed us how to love 
how to have mercy, how to pray, how to speak, how to encourage, how to bless, how to lay hands on the sick and they recover, how to cast out devils, how to walk in authority, how not to put up with foolishness, how to come against those things that are coming against the body of Christ. He showed us how to do all of this, and he showed us perfectly by giving us a picture, uh, giving us a standard. Verse 14, they will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about with every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever they sound like the truth. You know, that's going on in our day and age. There are people with silver tongues. Oh, my goodness, and they greasy. People are buying it, people who call themselves Christians. Yet, they're soaking it up and sucking it up, and yet, if we will just press into God, if we will get a hold of his truth, if we will incorporate it into our lives, our destiny is linked up with the house of God. Don't get off of the things of God. And as a pastor, it's my responsibility to equip you so that you won't be tricked. I love you enough to tell you the truth. Verse 15, instead, we'll speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. Verse 16, he makes the whole body fit perfectly together. As each part does its own special work, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Your destiny is linked up with the house of God. Some of you guys have a mercy gift and you need to go out with rock in the streets. Some of you guys need to be a part of our homeless ministry. Some of you guys need to go and pick people up in our shuttle buses. Some of you guys have technical abilities. You need to be one of our online hosts. Some of you guys just love the one-on-one and you need to be a part of our prayer teams or a part of our SPTs discipling new believers. Some of you guys love the kids and you need to be a part of the children's ministry. Some of you guys love the teens and you have a heart for them and you need to be a part of the youth ministry. Some of you guys have musical gifts and you have a part to play here. Some of you guys have the gift of gab and you need to go out and tell someone about Jesus on the job. Some of you are called to politics. Some of you are called to education. Some of you called to entertainment. Some of you guys are called home to build the house and build the family and do your part there. We all have a part to play in the body of Christ. Your destiny is linked up with this house. Your destiny is linked up, and you will find it in connection with the church. Last week, we had a beautiful woman in church. She got on our website online and shared that she had watched her husband try and commit suicide right in front of her. She rushed him to the hospital. Thank God he's okay. And she turned to God. She turned the right direction. She got online and she found us. She found out that we were open, live, in person. And she said, I'm coming. And we said, come on. She got connected with Pastor Joanna. Pastor Joanna led her in a prayer of salvation. She gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ. After she gave her heart and life to Jesus Christ, Pastor Joanna said, do you want to be baptized? They're doing baptisms out there in the fountain today. And she agreed and she went out there and she was baptized. Thank God there was someone here at church to lower her into those waters and to bring her out. You know, if you can't do sit-ups in your bathtub, it's kind of hard to get baptized on your own. You know what I'm saying? And so here she was. She gets baptized. As she comes out, there's a SPT, one of our discipleship leaders. She says, would you like to be her trainer? Would you like to connect with her? And she says, yeah, I'll connect with her. And so they got connected to discipleship. That night, she was back online praising God. This morning in the first service, she was here with tears in her eyes, thanking me, saying, Pastor, I'm the woman you were talking about. I'm the one, and here I am. We are able to love on her and just hug on her and bless her and believe God and speak life and faith and encouragement and tell her you're going to make it. God is good. This is not the end. This is just the beginning. 
All of that happened because we were in church. See, everyone needs others to disciple them and help them in their personal path with Jesus Christ. You'll find that in church. Everyone needs faith-filled people around them to encourage them. You will find that in church. Everyone needs a pastor or one of the gifts that God gave to the church to equip them to do the work of the ministry and to link up with the destiny and the plan that God has for his body. You will find that in church. Come on, can somebody say amen? In these last moments that we have together, will you pray with me? No one get up, no one leave during this time. Come on, don't log off yet. God has one more thing he wants to do. Will you just pray with me? Will you ask God, what are you speaking to me today through this message? And allow the Lord to speak to you. What is God speaking to you? doesn't take God long to speak. So if you've heard a word in your heart, maybe you've got a scripture, a phrase, an assignment, something like that, would you just write it down? I know if I don't write things down, I'll forget it. Commit it to a note. Maybe you want to put it on your phone, your electronic device. Write it on a piece of paper in the leaf of your Bible. If you're here online with a faithful friend, maybe your spouse, your family, your children, Maybe there's a community of believers around you and you just want to share what God spoke to you. Go ahead. If it's appropriate and you want to put it online, go ahead and put that in the comments section. Maybe it's a scripture verse. Maybe it's a word. Encouragement. Discipleship. Destiny. What's God speaking to you? Father, those things that you committed to us, we commit back to you. We thank you for your word. We receive it, God. We thank you for your church. Thank you for the discipleship that we all continually receive here. We thank you for the encouragement that we have. Father, we thank you for the destiny that you're leading us into. Lead on, Lord. We love you, God, in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Rock Church and World Outreach Center. If this message spoke to you, please share it with us. We'd love to hear from you. You can find more information at www.rockchurch.com.